Hi everyone, coming up today we're talking about Series 2's The Girl in the Fireplace as well as its prelude, The Tardisode and the recent epilogue, The Doctor Who Lockdown, Pompadour. The Tardis Cloister Bell, imminent disaster. The Cloister Bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. We are under attack. There are creatures. We can't stop them. I need to find out what they're looking for. There's only one way I can do that. You are inside my mind. A spaceship from the 51st century stalking a woman from the 18th. One of them must have found the right time window. Now it's time to send in the troops. So we're back again, revisiting the Tenth Doctor's era. I'm Rob, and I'm here with Liam. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Hi. How's it going? I know we've just had a brief catch up beforehand, but the <laughs> listeners didn't hear. <laughs> no, no. Um, not too bad, thanks. Uh, how about you? Um, doing doing well, yeah. Just working lots of early mornings. Mm. I haven't been watching much lately. Uh, oh, I did go and see. Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings recently. It was really good. Alright, okay. So so you would recommend it? Definitely. Um, the trailer didn't excite me that much and mm. I was quite surprised. I think the trailer doesn't really give away the third act of the film which is quite uncommon. Mm-hmm. That's quite a good thing. And I would have thought... Um, shown the third act in the trailer would have been a would have been a good thing commercially, you know, to sell, mm. you know, sell the film. Um, so I think they did really well there. Um, it was really fun, and it was a good good story. One one of the better Marvels. Oh, okay. Because um, at the the day of recording, which is Friday the first of October, October. Where the hell is this year going? Well, I know it's insane. Um, I've just come back from the cinema, uh, and so no time to die. Um, what I will say is because obviously that's the big film that everyone did you know, the, the huge focus on and i know i said this to you rob as well but just any listeners who who may be wanting to see it i'm not going to spoil anything do not worry uh but what i will say about it is that it's uh, i thought it was a very good film i thoroughly enjoyed it um uh um but there's some some surprises and it's quite a bold strong film um, try and see it as at the earliest opportunity if you can is my, my recommendation and certainly for the love of God keep effectively <laughs> if it's at all possible um, do not go on keep off the internet yeah just keep off the internet uh, because I, I'm so because that's what I did and I, I went into it completely blind um, and you know went along with the ride enjoyed the story enjoyed the laughs the surprises and all the rest of it and I think that's the best way to to go and do it Um Google, it turns out in its popular questions, if you Google uh, the the movie, um, in the popular questions uh, actually gives quite a huge plot point, um, which, uh, yeah, so basically keep away from it, go into the movie blind as you're supposed to and just enjoy it, that, that's yeah. my recommendation. Um, I'd love to just go into some wild theories now, but what if, what if I'm right and then <laughs> your reaction might give some clues. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we could talk. Well, so score out of ten. Oh, um, I definitely. Well, put it this way: I'm definitely going to see it again. Um, I need because it's it's a movie that's kind of got under my skin a bit, and I'm having to think about it. Which I think one of, in of itself is a good sign of a movie. You know, if if it stays with you and it's not sort of, you know, oh, I saw a movie, it was all right. Dump it and move on to the next one. It's you know, so it's um, I need to fully form my opinions on it. I think. Hmm. Definitely a good film. Out of ten. A lot eight. of places seem to be giving it a good yeah. five out of five, ten out of ten. Yeah, it's it's certainly getting very good reviews, which which is nice to see. Initially I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. There's a possibility, however, that I, I might change. Yeah, but I mean I'm I might actually give it a higher ranking at some point. Um okay. but yeah, I'll definitely be going to the cinema to see it again. I certainly recommend it. But anyway, sorry. But it's definitely to... one that has you thinking. Is it, is it one that you just you need to talk to somebody about it? Yeah, and that's the thing. At, at the moment, no one I know has seen it yet. That's frustrating. Uh, and it's just like, I need to talk to somebody about it for goodness sake. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, there's that, there's that as well. I really need to want to talk about it, but uh, no spot, you know, no spoilers. But anyway, sorry, Rob, I didn't mean to uh, steal. The... <clears throat> steal the conversation. Going back to the movie that you saw. So when I was at the cinema and seeing all the trailers. They actually advertised that film, but the thing is, though, they were doing it in a way. They were they were using it to advertise. Um, oh, what do you call it? Because I, I went to see it, Cineworld. Was okay. it called Forex? You know, when you when the yeah. basically the chair moves and all the, the chair rest. moves and the spray with water and smells and all sorts. Yeah, which looks fun, but at the same time, it's just to me that just seems like a distracting thing from the movie. But anyway, the the. Oh, using is this that, that trailer where the the actors were there in the, in the chairs? Yeah, and yeah, seen that oh, one. I, I'm sorry. I'm dare say the good actors in the film, but in terms of advertising the film, <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't convinced. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, you don't seem to be anyway. Looks a bit you... distracting. Maybe for the second viewing. <laughs> yeah, maybe for the second viewing, where you know you're kind of expecting you can just go along for the ride, literally. Yeah. Or if you've um, had a long day at work and you need something to keep you awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the idea. caffeine just isn't doing it. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Um, so oh, but I definitely d- recommend Shang Chi, though. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Well, um, I might actually go and see it because uh, that was another thing as well. Just being at the cinema because the last time I went, the last time I was at the cinema was was back in um, back in 2019, which feels like a lifetime ago. And it was the last film I saw was Joker, which is a great film. Yeah, I did see that recently. I probably told you about it probably early this year at some point, and I did like it. Yeah. All oh, right, good, good. But it was—I mean, it was just great. A bit. I mean, because that was the first one in the in the screen, and I picked a perfect seat. It was bang in the middle in the middle row, absolutely perfect. And um, and then people started to come in, and then there was the, there was two groups of school kids coming in. I was like, oh, for frick's sake, bloody school kids! But actually, they you know they were fine. Uh, there was a group of like young lads sitting next to me who were talking throughout all the trailers, and I went, "They better not be talking through the damn film." But no, no. But as soon as the movie started, everyone was just there, totally engrossed in it and enjoyable. And uh, everyone was, in fact, because there was a woman in front of me uh, in the uh, in the row in front of me, and uh, she was showing signs that she may have actually been a bit of a nut. And I went, "Oh God, someone to keep an eye on." But no, she was fine once the movie started. There was actually just a good group of people being at the cinema just enjoying a, a damn good movie and it was just oh I've missed this yeah. so that was quite that was quite nice 
Uh, well, I went. Uh, my first trip back to the cinema was to see Marvel's Black Widow, and mm. I'd kind of put it off. And by the time I went to see it, it wasn't in the IMAX screens. It was in one of the reject back room, <laughs> the tiny oh, ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, before, and then they yeah. forgot to turn the lights off for the first five minutes. You had a spotlight in your eye, and uh, it was a bit, <laughs> a bit miserable. Uh, but um, when I went to see Shang Chi. I went for the Lux recliner chairs at the audience, so you've got you've got buttons that lift up the footrest and recline the back. Ooh, fancy! So, uh, okay. So at quiet moments, all you can hear is like, um, like a, I don't know, like leather creaking and like <laughs> robots walking around. So it kind of sounds like hydraulic sounds. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, um. Pretty cool. But when you're getting a bit achy, you can just kind of adjust yourself. It's cool. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, when you went to see No Time to Die, what did you eat? Uh, nothing nothing no yeah nothing uh-huh, okay. I just finished work um, I finished a little bit early uh, okay. went, it went straight into the cinema <laughs> went in and then just yeah I didn't I didn't want to be distracted by any food I certainly didn't want to I, I didn't drink anything because I was just like I don't oh yeah be... don't you should never drink <laughs> yeah because it was because it's also um, it's two hours 45 minutes yeah. uh, you know which is quite a long film and certainly the longest Bond film um, and I didn't want to uh, go. Oh, I need to go to the toilet. Yeah. You know, just you know, the big important point mm. is happening. That can be a big movie. mistake when you go for the big, big combo and you get that massive drink and you just sat there <laughs> down in it. And you see yeah, the remember, You sat there um, in agony. I don't want to miss it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but actually, that, that's another good sign of the movie because it did. I didn't feel the time. It didn't feel like a long movie. It was. Uh, I've heard know, that so it doesn't. It, uh, um, it's. It, um, Almost three hours long. But that's another good sign of it, because I didn't see... I, it didn't feel like a long film, you know. Because um, going back to the toilet break, because I remember when I went to the cinema to see Return of the King, which is a long film. And yeah. it was... This is just ridiculous. And when it came to the... Um, one of the million endings... So I, I managed to survive quite close to the end of the movie. It's just... Mm. I'm, really bursting at this point so yeah. I was actually pleased to have a toilet break oh, right. even though it was quite close to the end yeah. of the movie but it's just like I need to stretch my legs and just <laughs> yeah you know years ago I went to see the Lord of the Rings trilogy all in one day um, good it was god at, well it was at the Whitley Bay Playhouse and they showed it on the screen mm. but the great thing was they had an interval in between each movie oh yeah, yeah. so it was I like straight out sitting on the beach with ice cream <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice! That actually sounds perfect. But because yeah. funny enough, because it's the twentieth anniversary of um, Fellowship of the Rings, wow, it's just yeah. unreal. Um, and Tyneside Cinema um, were showing the films, but it was really weird. Like you would have um, one day you would have Fellowship of the Rings, and you go, "Well, okay, great." And then the next day, if I was able to go, it would be the Two Towers. No, no, no. It was followed by no. Return of the King. Going what? And then the okay. next day it was followed by the two towers and go. Who the hell's arranged all this? A bit bonkers. Yeah. Oh, like some new view in order. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You maybe watch, yeah. you watch um, like two is a prequel to three. <laughs> it's been years since I've seen them though. I, yeah. I would like to to watch them again. Yeah. Anyway, so you kind of evaded the question. So I'll just more. I'll ask more direct question. What is your go-to cinema meal? Oh right, um, 
To be perfectly honest, because when I go to the cinema, I don't tend to eat anything. On the rare occasion I do, it might be, you know, obviously there's the obvious one, popcorn. Um, yeah, I don't tend to go for nachos or anything like that. No. Uh, how about you? I kind of go for the nachos now, mm. yeah. Um, but there's not... Uh, what other choices do people have, like giant hot dogs and things? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then obviously you got your, you know, your bags of like sweets and chocolates and stuff. Yeah, and oh so, yeah, ob- so, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you know you get those just to uh, or, or pick and mix. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's it's very easy to go a bit mental with the pick and mix. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just going, oh bloody hell! Yeah. How many sweets have I put in this damn bag? You know, I've got to eat them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh well. Anyway. <laughs> um, I think that's it for the catch-ups. I'd quite like to see June. That's out. I think it's the twenty-second in the UK this month. Yes, it is. Yeah, because they they showed the trailer for that uh, at the cinema, and um, I would yeah, like to see it, but I don't know what to make of it from the trailer. I mm. mean, it, it doesn't look like it's a bad movie, but it just seems to follow the usual. I think this is probably the fault of the trailer rather than the film itself, but it just seems to follow the same tropes and. Um, it just anyway. I don't know. the The trailer is not fully selling me on it. No, I think it's it's the both of them are well made trailers, but I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, yeah, it just follows the the sort of the same beats of everything else that we've we've seen in big science fiction epics in recent years. Yeah. But then maybe that's that's unavoidable because June the novel. Um. You know, is is massively influential. I mean, people who are big Dune fans and love the works of Frank Herbert, they say that uh, his influence is, you know, it, it's it's you know, once you've read the books, you, you can pretty much see it in like a lot of science fiction. Star Trek, uh, not Star, uh, Star Wars, being the the obvious one. In fact, I was in a I had a conversation years ago with with someone. He he massively loved Star Wars. Was a huge fan of it. Um. You know, and he was, you know, he loves all the books as well as the films and all the rest of it. But he was saying that it's it's perfectly clear that June, uh, that, that that Star Wars ripped off June was was his sort of take on it. Um, mm, yeah. But yeah, I might because uh, when's June coming out? Is that yes, October the twenty second was said. And I saw the trailer for the first time for um, the new. It's coming out in December. The new Matrix movie. Yeah. Um... Looks alright. Uh, I had a quick recap of like the third one, hmm. um, and it's been quite a while since they came out. Yeah, we were we were quite young, so hmm. back then I thought yeah, this is alright, and in retrospect, maybe it really was pretty bad. <laughs> well, sort of the first one, uh, which I think did that come out in nineteen ninety nine? Yeah, eight or nine. I think it was nine. Yeah, and um, I think a lot of people sort of recognise that you know that film was really good and you know th- th- incredibly influential. You, you know, you saw how that movie affected movies and years to come afterwards, especially with its use of special effects. Yeah. Um, and I remember going to the cinema to see the second one, and I, you know, I enjoyed that. The third one at the time I thought was an absolute stinker. Yeah, it really was. It was predictable. It didn't really excite much. I mean, the acting was good. You know, the music's amazing. Hmm. Um, the whole visual style of it's there, but it's it just I don't know. It was a bit meh. 
Although, funny enough, I have I have seen some people reevaluate those films. I mean, not arguing that the you know the, the, these great masterpieces that we hadn't realised, but the, people have been going back to them and going, you know what, they weren't as bad as we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I haven't seen them in years, so it'd be interesting yeah. if I rewatch them and, and go, yeah, actually, it's not too bad, or going. Nah, this is yeah. as bad as I remember. But anyway, I think um, the new Matrix movie yeah. looks like it'll be all right. Hopefully, it's uh, not a, a bit of a rehash of of the rest. Maybe um, it'd be cool if it does a bit of a twist and maybe everything we thought when you wasn't quite true. Who knows? Yeah, it, it could turn it on its head and surprise mm. us in some ways. <laughs> And uh, actually, just the one final catch because I've got to talk about this because I had an absolutely amazing time uh, yesterday. So that was Thursday, uh, the thirtieth of September. I saw Genesis live. It's one of my favourite bands. It's at Newcastle Arena. That's great. Yeah, fantastic. And I know that uh, a lot of people may be aware that um, there was an interview with the band, you know, leading up to the. the the uh, the tour starting and, and Phil Collins um, clearly not in rude health and everyone was getting really concerned um, but um, obviously not not you know he he can't drum anymore and um, mm-hmm. but he it was still fantastic can still sing can still entertain it was great making us all laugh as you know he could still sing the songs incredibly well in fact the whole band were just amazing and. Uh, the light show and the projection and just the way that it, it was just an absolutely amazing evening and it was just oh I've, I would love to have uh, loved to have seen them again but um, yeah oh, that, that's that was a good great. opportunity yeah yeah um, oh and what about that new ABBA stadium <laughs> you know the funny thing is because for years it's just sort of I've never been able to get away with ABBA it's just I couldn't it's just uh, ABBA's not my thing I'm at two minds about it because our yeah, I, I kind of feel that, but on the other hand, I love the <laughs> I kind of love the Mamma Mia movies because <laughs> the kids. Oh, you see, I haven't seen those, uh, but actually, they probably look. The first one looks like it's probably a lot of fun, so I might I'll, I'll probably get around to watching them at some point. But Abba's just never been my thing, and I've always thought oh, that's naff music. Yeah, but because Abba's reunited, and uh, and I know people absolutely love Abba and uh, really enjoy the music. Um, and you know, and because they're reunited, it's got an awful lot of interest. And um, YouTube, for some reason, started to chuck music videos in my direction, which also included ABBA. Um, and so, you know what? It's just actually, yeah, there, there are some really good songs, and, and the, the, these are ones that I'd heard, you know, because they're, they're pops, you know, they're incredibly popular pop songs, and uh, you must you know, definitely ones you've heard. I mean, I still can't get get away with Fernando; it's just not my thing. But um, some of the other ones, it's just gone. Yeah, these are actually really good songs. Why didn't I like them? So, um, <laughs> might be becoming an Abba fan. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it, but um, I kind of get the appeal now. Yeah. So we've got a bit of news this week. Uh, Russell T Davis is to return as showrunner. Well, he'll return to Helm's show in 2023 for the show's 60th anniversary and beyond. We don't know much at this stage other than um, he'll be introducing a new Doctor because Jodie Whittaker will be departing 
in 2022. Um, and hopefully you'll reignite people's interest in the show. Judging from some of the reaction that that news received, which I think was just took everyone completely by surprise, um, I do think it's re- I do think it's re- reignited interest from Doctor Who fans themselves, but a lot of just general viewers, you know, people who who really enjoyed and loved the show during that era, but you know, weren't fans. They just liked it and tuned in, and then you know, m- moved on. Judging from from the reaction that one can see online, it's got you know, those general viewers um, looking back at the show and going, "Oh, I'm really looking forward to this." Mm, yeah, um, it's an era everyone loved. Um, yeah, people grew um, up with. Yeah. And I was, I certainly welcomed the, welcomed the news with open arms because uh, we knew that Chris Chibnall was leaving, and it was one of those things of going, "Oh, I wonder, I wonder who who will be taking over?" Because it's been sort of in house, really, with regards to the knew who you know you say had Russell T Davis and then Stephen Moffat took over and he'd been he'd been there he, he'd been there throughout Russell, Russell's time as well hadn't he yeah. yeah yeah and everyone welcomed that and then when he left Chris Chibnall took over and he'd already written for the series and it was just there didn't seem to be any any blood no no I wasn't going to say that it, <laughs> it, it, it didn't you know following that pattern there didn't seem to be an obvious candidate for who would follow in Chris Chibnall's footsteps maybe Mark Gatiss possibly um, but I couldn't I couldn't really think of anyone else if you followed that progression so I always thought well I wonder who will be I think they'll have to bring someone from outside in and reinvigorate the show and stuff like that but the fact that RTD's coming back I was like whoa okay didn't expect that <laughs> you know, it's like wow this is fantastic uh, I mean we've talked about this before but I think it's safe to say that we're not a massive fan of the Chris Chibnall era. Uh, there are things in it that we like, um, but in terms of narratively speaking, it's, it hasn't really. I'm kind of feeling that mm, this show's alright, but it doesn't sort of like massively excite me. So uh, I'm looking forward to the, the new series, and of course, and seeing what happens. But with this news, I'm kind of like, right, can we hurry up and ditch this lot and then <laughs> yeah. bring back RTD and celebrate the 60th anniversary and see, you know. I know, because um, part of me did invest in the new in this new era with Chibnall because, of course, there's no going back. But apparently, you can. Um, I was watching uh, an episode of Doctor Who Confidential today um, about the girl in the fireplace, and I really missed that. Where we don't have that with the new era, and it really leaves a bit of a disconnect because we don't really. I feel like we're not really part of behind the scenes on Doctor Who now, are we? No, no, we're not. Um, and it, and kind of, no, you don't really, um, you don't really know Chris Chibnall very well, do you? <laughs> as, a, as a figure. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, which I suppose I don't mind, but it's funny with the with the new era because. D- um, I never really watched the, you know, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff, but a lot of people did. And when they stopped that, a lot of people were very disappointed. And this wasn't just fans of the series. Again, it goes back to general viewers. General viewers were disappointed because they loved um, seeing you know, more of the characters and you know from the actors and the directors and producers' yeah. approach to creating these things. And I they loved, loved it. it. It was just another uh, way of Torchwood to it, yeah. declassified as well. That was another one. 
Ah, right, okay. Sorry, I talked over there. No, 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 that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I think that is... It'd be interesting to see if Russell T. Davis brings that back, actually. Um, Do you think he'll bring the logo back? No. No? <laughs> Do you think he'll keep the current logo? Um, I hope so, for two reasons. One's the uh, Blu-rays. One, yeah, one's the Blu-rays, because <laughs> we want to keep that consistency. In fact, because Lee Binding, I think, was once asked this question, and he said that uh, he, if the logo was to change, he would hope that the BBC would understand that, for the sake of the Blu-ray box sets, you know, the whole thing is for a consistent look, so keep the logo. So, yeah. this But two, I actually like the logo. Um, at this stage, I'm not tired of looking at it and feeling you know, that I would like that, that logo to stay for a bit mm-hmm. yeah hopefully because um, uh, you know because in the past we've had logos carry on between the doctors uh, you know the diamond logo was Pertwee to Baker and then we had the the neon logo with Baker Davison and an altered version with, with Colin Baker so a new doctor doesn't strictly mean a new logo no but uh, yeah, I wonder how much of a clean slate it'll, uh, it'll take. Yeah, but uh, I'm looking forward to it either way. Yeah, um, maybe there'll be a few links to the past. Mm-hmm. I think we'll have Ace back. Uh, <laughs> uh, possibly, because I know that uh, they were thinking of bringing her back in the Sarah Jane Adventures before... Elizabeth Sladen sadly passed away so I know that that was on the cards mm-hmm. so it'll be nice to actually say well we weren't able to do it then we can maybe bring her back mm. in the actual show yeah I think we could talk about this all night but I guess we've <laughs> got a few years of speculation ahead of her <laughs> yeah yeah we'll have yeah another bit of news I'll just mention uh, Luke and Mark of the Who Can Convince You podcast have just got their own website so just like us they've got all their crap in one easy to find place and um, they claim to be the best crap podcast around Liam what does that make us <laughs> the worst crap podcast <laughs> so. oh well actually no that, that, that's just silly um, the average worst podcast the crappest best podcast <laughs> See, we're in another league um, uh Get in contact with us and let you know your thoughts. And if you hate this podcast, then why the hell are you listening? <laughs> no one's listening. <laughs> oh yeah, crap! I oh, yeah. make an assumption there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, check out their website. It's wccy.co.uk. That's who can convince you. Co.uk. Um, mark it in your favourites, your bookmarks, or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's their little hub now. Mm-hmm. Um, quick social reminders we're on facebook.com slash cloisterbell twitter at podcastbell instagram cloister underscore bell and you can support us on patreon for early access and more so on to the plot for the girl in the fireplace for their first trip with mickey the 10th doctor and rose end up on a spaceship in the future that contains several portals to pre-revolutionary france When he steps through one of these portals, shaped like a fireplace, the Doctor discovers uh, the the even greater mystery of actual romantic love. 
cast for this episode. Of course, David Tennant. We have Billy Piper as Rose Tyler. Noel Clark as Mickey Smith. Sophia Mells as Renette. Ben Turner as King of France. We have uh, Jessica Atkins as young Renette. Angel Colby as Catherine, which was one of Renette's friends in the outside scene. Gareth Wynne Griffiths as Manservant. Paul Casey and Ellen Thomas as Clockwork Man and Woman. Uh, Jonathan Hart, Emily Joyce as Alien Voices. Um, Alien Voices must be the droids. Um, did you think that Sophia Mills had voiced one of the droids? That's what that's what I kind of thought at one point when she was going, we are the same. No, I'm not sure. I don't know. I oh, hadn't thought of that. I thought maybe. Um, of course, writer for this episode was the Moth himself. Uh, director, uh, nice Welsh guy called Euros Lynn. He'd directed quite a few episodes in Doctor Who and the extended universe but uh, in series 2 in particular he had directed the Children in Need special would we class that as part of this series? Which one's that? I cannot for the life of me remember that It's um, David Tennant's first mini episode first appearance after Partner of the Ways What happens in it? Um, basically he's going a bit nuts Um Rose is like, who are you? Oh, yes, about? yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I just yeah. completely slipped my mind. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's also directed Tooth and Claw and The Idiot's, Idiot's Lantern and Fear Her. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was going so well until that. <laughs> you had to end the list there. To go back to your question, yeah, I think uh, that Children in Need special, I do think is part of the... The series, it's it's one of those because I know later on they do ones where you can sort of take or leave them, but I think that one's clearly a bridge. Oh, sorry, I've just uh, went and played something. <laughs> I can't stop this. Why is the TARDIS <laughs> landing in your living room? What the hell was that? Um, it was something that's coming up in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, oh, I was just answering your question, the Children in Need special. Um, yeah, I, I think with that one, because other ones you can sort of take or leave them, but I think that one I would definitely include as part of the series. So, before we move on to the main review, um, there was a series of things in 2006 called Tardisodes. Um How would you describe a Tardisode, Liam? Utterly pointless. Utterly pointless, yeah. Yeah, utter crap. <laughs> Yeah, no. This, uh, what they were for for people who were, probably weren't alive around then, who maybe listened to this podcast, they were they were sort of mini, sort of like teasers of the upcoming story. They they would usually involve um, the handover of money, and then they'd give you this thing on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, the whole idea was that there was supposed to be a bit, a bit of a, a teaser of they, they wouldn't usually, they, they usually wouldn't include the Doctor or anything like that. But it was like it would be set within the forthcoming story, building up the sense of jeopardy as a sort of a bit of a teaser for the main story. But I don't think they really added anything. No, <laughs> in uh, fact, they probably took things away. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we watched uh, the Girl in the Fireplace, obviously. And yeah. the Tardisodes was one of those things that I never really remember about 
but you do. And uh, you you sent me uh, the Tardisode for this episode, uh, which I watched after watching the episode and obviously prior to us recording this podcast. And um, but what what were your thoughts on it? Um, I don't know. It came across as like you say, it didn't didn't add anything. It felt cheap. Yeah. And yeah, it just felt like a bit of a gimmick. Um, which is a shame. You know, later in later years, we get such good little scenes here and there, especially included on the box sets um, or on the website. Um, yeah, and this isn't really in, in league with that. Um, I mean, should we, should we like kind of play the audio of it for the listeners? Well, we can do. I don't think they're going to get much out of it. Oh, no, here we go. All right. Wonderful uh, audio of the Tardisode. Uh, yeah, was it better on audio? Maybe probably because you'll be able to yeah. create your own images and stuff. Yeah, but it's probably epic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. One, it doesn't help because it they they were clearly made on the cheap, and it shows. The other thing as well, just in terms of the the writing, is just they don't really work. I actually think that if you were to say, for example, you were to watch the Tardisode, then go straight into watching the girl in the fireplace. I actually think it takes away from from the episode. Yeah. So, There's yeah. one ridiculous thing in this episode as well um, that really bugs me uh, because when the Doctor um, makes an observation in uh, the bedroom that the clock's broken, mm-hmm. um, it's because uh, this droid has broke the clock to uh, um, give the illusion that his ticking is the clock. Which makes sense. Uh, but but in the Tardisode, um, we find out that a crew member in the 51st century screams and it cracks the clock face in, in the 18th century before the time windows have even been built. Yeah, so not only does it add anything, not only does it look incredibly cheap, it, and not only does it add it, it doesn't add anything, it doesn't it's make comical. any sense. It is comical, it is. It's... Uh... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't okay. think the screen was literally meant to crack the clock, but... That's how it comes across. You, that's how it comes across, yeah. And I kind of originally thought the droid would have just punched the clock or smashed it. Um, but, uh, I mean, the, unless the droid kind of resonated and then cracked it, that might have made sense. <laughs> I don't know. No idea. No idea. Um, yeah. But um, if anyone wants to, does want to watch that... Um, Head over to cloisterbellpodcast.com forward slash fireplace and you can watch it there. Um, so on to the main review. So the story opens quite well. We have this lush blue star field and then 
it kind of swiftly pans down, revealing the Palace of Versailles in the 18th century in France. Um, inside, we hear the clockwork noises, where all the revelers and masqueraders screaming and running for their lives. So, um, Renette stands at her fireplace, staring at the broken clock, um, and as the king runs in, panicking, talking about these inhuman creatures, um, she tells him of a man who will come, who will save her from the creatures, and she tells him the man will come to save her and so she calls for the doctor through the fireplace so this is a really good opener to the episode I think it leaves us asking what the hell's going on I think that because I think on the whole because you picked the uh, you picked this because it's your favorite David Tennant story and I can totally see why it's certainly up there for me as well and I think it's so to say that we both like this episode if I was to criticize something of it though I think for me actually there's a scene later on but this bothers me the most because it's 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 the way of bring bringing us into the story. I think uh, I think in terms of how uh, it's written, uh, you know, with with everyone screaming their heads off in the pa- uh, in the Palace of Versailles, works. I think in terms of how it's realised, um, I'm not that keen on it because I think it you are aware that really what it is, it's a bunch of extras. Yes, <laughs> um, you know, screaming their heads off in what I would say is a slightly, in- I don't think it's particularly convincing. I'm, you know, when I when I'm watching it, I'm not, I'm, I don't feel that these people think that they're genuinely in peril. There's just something about the way that it's performed, and I don't think the camera work is particularly tight as it could be. Um, I think the rest of the scene, in terms of who we later find out to be Madame Pompadour, um, Madame de Pompadour, sorry. Um, I, I like all that, and when the way that she's talking to Louis, her husband, um, sorry, uh, the, the the king, Louis the Fifteenth, yeah. uh, Louis the Fifteenth, and we know fine well that you know it's building up to the fact that you know she's going to be calling on the doctor. But I like I like all that, and I like how it's performed and it's realised, and then it builds up. And and then we go crashing into the title sequence, and so that bit I think works really well. Um, I j- maybe I just it's feel- been cut a bit tighter. And- yeah, and I just feel it's yeah. just it, it it gets away with it because of uh, because of uh, the actress's performance and, and all that with Madame de Pompadour, and then how you know how she's crying out for the doctor, and then we go straight into the title sequence. That bit works. That's fine, but it's that it's. The way that the episode really begins with everyone just screaming their heads off, and as I said, I don't think it's particularly convincing, and it could, it should have been better in my view. But, um, um, but then we go into the title sequence, and then really everything, everything's fine. Yeah, I guess the kid, the 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 good stuff outweighs the bad stuff in this episode, um, and oh, yeah, achieved, achieved quite a quite an amazing thing mm-hmm. um, at the time, yeah. Uh, so yeah, after the title sequence, um, we see another blue star field, but this time the camera pans up uh, and reveals this space station three thousand years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the design; I think it's meant to resemble a key rotating through a keyhole. Yes, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the team leave the TARDIS with Mickey in tow. Like Rose seems comfortable that uh, Mickey's with them now. Um, I think one of the reasons was uh, when 
Stephen Moffat wrote this, he hadn't read the script for um, Smith and Jones. No, not Smith and Jones. Uh, School Reunion. Right, okay. Uh, so he wasn't aware uh, of any tension there with uh, Rose not wanting Mickey to be there. Um, I don't think um, it's a bad thing here. Uh, you know, it's, There could have been no adventures in between then and here. I guess, mm-hmm. to kind of settle in. And maybe that is the case in the expanded media and the comics and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Rose seems pretty uh, happy that Mickey's there in comparison to the last episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it is implied that it's his first trip to a space station, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So the Doctor explains that they're in the 51st century, making this the second time that Moffat has kind of expanded on the concept of human time travel um, established in uh, the talents of Wang Chiang Um, the first time being uh, the empty child Dr. Dancers uh, which introduced uh, Jack as a time agent from the 51st century Mm -hmm. Um, that being the same case from uh, Wang Chiang so so yeah I guess the 51st century is a bit of a a time travel capable era in Moffat's mind (laughs) So the doctor checks out the ship and it's a bit in a bit of a state. Um, what do you think of the design of the interior? I think it's uh, I think it's a good design. It has uh, I suppose if you compare it to anything else, it has that sense of the Nostromo or an alien. You know, the, a, you know, it's clearly very functional um, with the corridors in the main control room. I think it you know it's uh, a good, strong, solid design, and yeah, I like it. What do you think? Yeah, for the same reasons, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, really scrappy and dark. <laughs> yeah, it's all a bit of a mess, but uh, yeah, it seems pretty good. Yeah, and I also think it lends itself to the the contrast of everything else that we see. It's a very good, you know, because of, of because of that look, and it's there's nothing grandiose about it. That contrasts really well with the uh, you know the location of 18th century France uh, and yeah. the the design of the the androids. Uh, so it you know and so it lends itself that that kind of dreamlike quality to the, the 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 episode and of course you know when there's something really i think it's a cross between Douglas Adams and David Lynch um you know seeing a seeing a white horse in that location uh as well it, uh, it highlights the the sort of um the fun and the imagination of all that the story settings which works quite well yeah, um, it's quite cool that they constructed um, two sets side by side, so they could literally walk through from yeah. one time period to another as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's no kind of camera trickery there for the most part. So they first meet uh, Renette when they find the fireplace. They find this great fireplace, which is obviously out of place. Um, and they did construct a rotating fireplace, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I uh, also love the whole dynamic of Mickey being an outsider, you know, leaving everything explained to him, I guess. Yeah. All the exposition goes to him for our benefit as well. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he, uh, I like his, re- his reaction to even French. <laughs> yeah but what I like about that is uh, 
the way that how these things are explained um it doesn't feel tiresome it doesn't feel forced it feels natural uh and i think a big part of that is that there's something you know because mickey's kind of really the comic character um and sort of like the really the, you know kind of the butt of the joke type thing but here i think it's pitched really well it's not tiresome it works and everyone just seems to sort of like each other rose isn't fed up with mickey at this point the doctor's not con- you know not like Christ- again it's the the contrast between the doctors but you know how christopher eccleston was quite his doctor was quite down on mickey yeah. you know and constantly criticizing him where uh the doctor here doesn't re- you know doesn't really do that and you know everyone everyone's just getting on well uh, getting on well and that's actually really nice uh, and I like that. Um, and actually, Mickey picks up things very quickly. I mean, we later see, you know, when um, the Doctor tells them to stay where they are when he goes off to investigate. And then, you know, Rose picks up the, the, the fire extinguisher that looks like a gun. And then Mickey does the same thing and they go off and she goes, yeah, now you're getting it. And then they basically kind of like partner up and, you know, so it works really well. So, yeah, it's yeah, explaining it's everything. we didn't but... get more of Mickey like that. I do like yes. the whole progression with mickey in this series because yes he is um he does get some of the funny funny parts of the stories and um the ninth doctor brandon is a bit of a joke but then Mm. in this series you know he really comes into his own he's not a joke he's uh he's got a purpose and uh Mm -hmm. he's he's a lot stronger by the end of the series yes i agree with that and yeah you've you've nailed it as well it's uh it would have been quite nice to see more of more of this dynamic um, yeah more of mickey at this stage um off of rose as well mm-hmm. i guess um and, the, and not having any kind of resentment or, or tension between them yeah mm-hmm. so the doctor travels through the fireplace to renette's bedroom but it appears that months have passed since he last spoke to her. So um, I think this might be the best scene in the episode with regards to kind of pure mystery and terror. Um, it is quite brief, but the whole scene under the bed is pretty cool. Yeah, I loved all that. And I think, yes, um, and Stephen Moffat doing what he does you know, really well here, uh, which is you know the, the complexities of time travel but presented in a very interesting engaging and simple way mm. that actually wasn't always going to be the case because in the no. original draft um, Stephen Moffat had the Doctor meeting Renette in a, a bit of a non-linear way so he'd, he'd meet her at one stage and she remembered, remembered meeting him a diff- at a different time mm. and then we see her, him meeting a younger version of her um, I'm glad they didn't do that yeah I'm pleased that they didn't uh, they didn't do that as well I mean um, there's nothing wrong with doing that but um, I actually think it's it's much more skillful as a writer when you're dealing with very complex uh, ideas uh, but presenting them in a, in a palatable way I think that takes much more skill whilst doing so in a way which doesn't uh, patronize the audience um, I think here it's 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 done very deftly this is Stephen Moffat uh, arguably at his best with with regards to this um later on i think you know he, he i think you know he he um he follows up with this complexity of, of time travel but i think presents it in a unpalatable way which sometimes can really restrict the series and not really make it enjoyable but here i think it 
it's done incredibly well. Yeah. And again, as you said, Rob, the way that the whole scene, so you've got that element of it, but the way that um, the way that the the droid is introduced, uh, I think, is 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 really strong because you know you the fact that the clock is broken, but you're hearing a ticking noise. The whole thing about the droid hiding under the bed and then it's there and all the rest of it, I think, is it's imaginative. It's you know, it's firing the imagination of you, the audience, watching all this and and reveling in it. And it's also very atmospheric. Mm. Um, I was worried originally that uh, the reveal of the creature being the clockwork droid um, was that reveal too soon. Um, but in retrospect, I don't think it was because. The droids are still a serious threat, mm-hmm. and also um, we don't want to focus on the mystery of the monster all the time when this whole story is about the characters. Yes, completely, and uh, and there's something really. I mean, I love the design of the the clockwork droids in terms of their 18th century appearance. There's something there's something about that period of history in in Europe and the aesthetic which can be used. You know, to depict obviously opulence and things like that, but there's something quite heightened about it. It's uh, and it can lend itself to horror um, or things being off kilter in a way. And I think this has done really well. And and the fact that they made it's it's all clockwork, and there's something just really really beautiful about it. That these are beautiful uh, looking things. Uh, but doing horrific things, uh, which is a wonderful contrast. Uh, and I think that you know, these are one. Uh, these are one of the best sort of sort of. I put that in quotation marks. One offs, because uh, Stephen Moffat later on kind of returns to the idea in Peter Capaldi's first story, Deep Breath. But that being said, in the uh, Victorian era, it has a bit of a cyberpunk look to it. Uh, and design, whereas here it's you know it it has that traditional uh, clockwork look. And I you see, I don't remember that deep breath. I think oh. I've blocked it out. All oh, right, okay, I remember it quite well. But oh, wait, know- uh, no, our oh, deep breath was his first episode. Yes. Oh. oh yes, I do know what you're talking about. I'm thinking of dark. No, something or other. Oh. <laughs> right, okay. Um, unless I've got the title wrong. No, no, I, you don't. It's right. Okay. I get what you mean, yeah. Right, okay, good, good. Um, one thing about the aesthetics of the droid, it noticeably doesn't match the ship much, does it? But I guess the ship's kind of in bits now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But it's kind of explained that these were ser- you know, servant droids um, and they were tasked with repairing the ship. It was yeah. just that there wasn't any safety parameters to say that, you know, uh, repair the ship whilst not hurting the crew. So uh, we have the whole scene with the fire extinguishers and then Mickey and Rose go off and the Doctor heads back through the fireplace. But Renette is now... Uh, she's now grown up. Mm-hmm. They have a bit of a talk um, and there's this interesting concept. Um, how is he a stranger when she's known him her whole life Mm -hmm. that's her perspective it's very very subjective and it's true yeah she's known him my whole life on and off i guess yeah which is sort of interesting because it's it's only occurred to me now which is staggering because i think it's probably something glaringly obvious looking in retrospect 
it's do you think it, this is a sort of prototype of what we would later see with Amy and the Doctor? You know, in the Matt Smith era. I don't know. Uh, I can't compare them in my mind. I I, I can compare this to River. Um, is that what you were talking about earlier about how Moffat did a whole nonlinear thing? Yeah. Well, actually, maybe the, maybe the girl in the fireplace is a pro- uh, sort of a prototype for a lot of what Stephen Moffat would. Yeah, you know, well, later course, do. Um, you know, you Amy at... was a younger girl as well. Yeah, I grew up. Yeah, in that in that respect. Aye. So actually, you know, so, so, sort of actually, this is a an, an amalgamation of what we would later see separated out with um, with River Song and Amy. Mm-hmm. I think and... that there's something about the relationship here which you can kind of tie. You can sort of note the similarities to what he would later do. Yeah, and there's also. Um something we'll talk about later. I don't want to give anyway any spoilers. I can't say anything because I was going to talk about the epilogue, but I was going to recommend people watch it rather than we spoil it. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, but yeah. There's some, uh, there was a comparison from that to something else Moffat did. Um, so after the talk, um, they do kiss um, and the Doctor realises who she is and then he's like, oh, I just snugged Madame de Pompadour, and then he returns. Mm-hmm. And then he meets his horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Would you have liked um, to have seen the horse join them for uh, for a few TARDIS adventures? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, should have stayed. Yeah. Should have stuck around, yeah. Uh, Mickey finds a camera with a real eye. Um, then they find a human heart wired in the machinery. Mm-hmm. Um bit of a mix here the eye looks very cgi and comical but then this the the clip of the heart that really um has a bit of an impact Mm. um what did you make of the eye yeah i know i know what you mean but I, i suppose it's sort of marrying the the horror, but with the ridiculous idea of sticking an eye in a camera. There's something obvious about it, but something quite comical about it as well. And it's, it's because I think as soon as you you see that, you kind of know where this is going in terms of where. Why is there no crew? Oh, there's an eyeball in what should you know? When what is an electronic camera? I think we know where we're going with this. So it introduces it into in into this um, fairly light-hearted way. If I can put it like that, and then, and then it contrasts with, oh yeah, we're really going there. There's a heart. Um, yeah. So it's sort of like it, 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 within a within a quite a short space of time, I think it, you know, it, it eases you into this into that idea. Yes, it works well. Mm-hmm. So the Doctor finds a passage back to France, and he watches, um, Renette from afar walking um walking with her mate and talking about her ambitions to be the king's new mistress mm-hmm. um she twice glances back um i got the impression she was aware the doctor was there did you feel the same um sort of the way that i read that scene is that she has this feeling that she's being watched but she doesn't know who but she probably has an inkling that if she is being watched, it probably is the doctor. 
I think that that's the way that I read that scene. I don't think that she 100% knows that it's the Doctor, but it's sort of a feeling that she has. Yeah, because her friend says, is there something wrong? And she went, no, no. she goes, no, not wrong. Yeah. Uh, possibly, yeah. Um, back on board the ship, Mickey and Rose find a window to the past, um, which is literally a, a giant window to another room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Doctor and the horse catch up with them. Um, he explains to them that they are gateways to the past um, that seem to be following her life. And the Doctor notices a broken clock and Renette then sees the clockwork droid standing in the corner. Mm-hmm. And so as it approaches her, the Doctor enters the room and freezes it. And uh, it, it refuses to answer his questions. And then he puts it to Renette to order it to answer him. Um, so that's kind of an interesting development yeah um, like an observation on the doctor's part from earlier so it identifies itself as a repair droid uh, which we kind of knew more or less what it was from earlier on um, and it seems this is where it seems to have a voice similar to her mm-hmm. um, but maybe that wasn't the case but at the time I thought after watching it maybe that was intentional like it, uh, the ship and the droids were using her voice as well. Yeah, it, yeah. For some reason, if that is the case, I never picked up on it. Um, maybe I need to watch the episode again and pay a bit more attention. Yeah, pay attention next time. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. So it becomes clear that the ship didn't have the parts it needed, and it used the crew as parts. So we get confirmation here of what the heck was going on with the eyeball and the heart, mm-hmm. and those poor souls in the TARDIS ode. <laughs> Um, and one more part is required but she's incomplete Um, and this being Renette's head (laughs) her brain Mm. so after the repair droid teleports away Rose and Mickey go after it and this is the scene in the hallway where Mickey makes a remark about the Doctor having an affinity for different girls um Madame de Pompadour, Sarah Jane Smith, Cleopatra, which clearly kind of gets to Rose, but only for a moment where, you know, she's like, like he only mentioned her once, yeah, but he, he called her Cleo. <laughs> yeah. um, the intention might have been to have a two con- contrasting stories here where um, the Doctor has got this affinity for Rene, Renette, and um, Rose... Um, she doesn't kind of deal with the whole conflict that she had with Sarah Jane Smith very much on screen mm-hmm. any kind of jealousy do you think she's overcome that a little bit or she's got a, a, a better understanding well I think so I mean because to be perfectly honest I thought all that was dealt with in that one episode um, yeah I guess not yeah I guess not yeah. you know especially that that, that, that one scene where the, the, the sort of which I love you know when they're the, the comparing the fact that um, you know the you know, they both met the Daleks and the monsters at the scene and the fact oh, that yeah. uh and then Sarah Jessica and the Loch Ness monster and Rose goes, seriously? So you got all that scene and then it played and then they they actually connect in that scene with the fact that they both know the doctor and they go, you know, does he still stroke bits of the TARDIS and all the rest of it? Um yeah. and then by the end of it, I actually think that all that, that jealousy and, and conflict and was actually dealt in that one episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, and dealt with yeah. it quite well. 
So it makes it um, it kind of makes sense the way she's acting here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. So the Doctor then uses an ability of his that he rarely uses, um, his telepathic contact with Renette. Um, I don't believe he's used it at all in the new series up until this point. Am I wrong? If you are, I can't remember it either. I do... Th- I'm trying to think is that... Because I don't think it was... Christopher Eccleston didn't use it, did he? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, my memory of it is that it's it's... Probably possibly the first time, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of suddenly brought up, like, oh, the Doctor's got some kind of superpowers here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he does say in the line that you know, he does say during that scene that he he rarely does it. Yeah, he doesn't make it make a habit of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he he uses that um and explores her memories, which she kind of welcomes. Um. But then she begins to see the Doctor's childhood. Mm-hmm. Um. A lonely boy. And I think there was a line in the Empty Child's Doctor Dances where he says he was a lonely boy as well. Yes. Uh, uh, and also, uh, I'm, I'm guessing he's referring to young boy Hartnell, not necessarily young Timeless Child, because that would be a young girl. <laughs> For God's sake, bloody Timeless Child. Sorry, I bring this up every time. No, no, well, it's part of the series now. It's it's not your fault. It's Until Russell retcons it. Oh, let's do it. Oh, that'd be marvellous. Yes, please Somehow. do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think at this point it's... No, no, because it's it's part of the series now. Uh, we we can't get away from it. Yeah. But yes, I think it's, it's perfectly good. That's the... It's it's uh, Hart- a lonely boy, Hartnell. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Um, so lonely then, lonely now, and then she puts the question to him, uh, Doctor Who. It's more than just a secret, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, we do get the whole Doctor Who brought up as a joke, possibly maybe one or two times before this, but it's the first time it's really resonated in this way mm-hmm. like it's an actual question maybe there's some kind of dark secret behind it um, do you think this relates to anything we've seen since any secrets what secrets does he have apart from maybe John Hurt <laughs> yeah because I think at this point in the series when it came back the, the big mystery and the big secret was the you know the, the time war and the fact that he fought in it and Russell D. Davis created the you know these um, you know these f- f- phrases of stages of the war which the Doctor was at. Mm. Um, I think that's sort of at this point in the show that's the that's the main mystery. Yeah. Who knows though? I like it though. Oh um, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. But he's like, what did you just say? Like he's kind of aware of something that she's kind of implying. But afterwards, she kind of says that um, you must learn how to dance. Uh, And there was a bit of a question amongst the fans, which Stephen Moffat has clarified, um, but that in The Empty Child, The Doctor Dances, um, the emphasis on dancing is that um, (laughs) meaning sex. Yes. Uh And then Renette says to the Doctor... um, it's time for him to learn how to dance, and then he takes her hand and they go away. But uh, Stephen Moffat has kind of confirmed that's not the case here, just in case anyone was interpreting it that way. 
Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah which I mean, is a fair point. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think in the the Doctor dancers, I think you know when you're a bit more grown up and certainly an adolescent onwards, I think you know it's very obvious that uh, dancing is a metaphor in that story. Mm. Um, but here, I think you know, yeah, it was da- dances isn't. That, I think it's I think it's very yeah. clear that you know it, because it, you know it's all part of French etiquette and. Etc. Etc. I think it's very clear that on, on this occasion, it's at face value. Dancing means dancing. Yes, but did they go and dance? Because this is the night of the ball where she meets the king. And if he goes to dance and has quite a wild night, <laughs> surely the king would have met him at this point. But that you get to, you get to introduce him later. Yeah, I think because mm. all that all that's mentioned, but I think. Um... Oh yeah, because it's the yew tree ball, isn't it? Because I think it's it's inferred that you know they'd be able to dance, and there'll still be plenty of time for her to dance with with the king. Yeah, but the, but the droids do end up interrupting it, don't they? But at the end of the story, they clearly have a relationship, so something clearly worked out. It's you know probably the way that she handled herself at the ball. Yeah, was what yeah, impressed yeah. the king. So Rose and Mickey are kind of held captive and they wake up with the droids and the Doctor turns up drunk, or supposedly drunk, um, explains that the ship is 37 years old and he's now figured it out. Um, because when he was in her mind, he was saying, how old are you? And he now knows what the droids are, are looking for. They're waiting for a time when she's matured to the age of 37. Um, so she's compatible. Uh, the doctor does look for some Zeus plugs to shut the time windows down. Yes, uh, just a nice little reference to. Uh, I think they're only mentioned in the Hand of Fear uh, in the the final scene between the Doctor and uh, Sarah. Oh, is that the only time? I think so. I mean, I may be completely wrong, but that's certainly one that I remember when he's he's trying to re- repair the. Uh, Todd's console and he's asking for, for you know uh, Zeus plugs and things like that that was quite a nice reference um, it's funny because I, I remember the first time when I watched this episode I was slightly bothered not massively I was just slightly bothered about uh, the Doctor behaving drunk I just thought it came across as needlessly kooky um, but actually watching it now I think it's perfectly fine um, yeah it's just an act anyway <laughs> yeah 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 it's, it's just an act uh, but I remember the first time just finding it a little bit sort of a bit cringy but I think yeah. it's fine really. no, I get that though yeah um, so he wants to close these time windows but he can't because one of the droids is still out in the field and he's calling because he's found a time period where uh, Renette is complete so we're kind of nearing the end of the story so Rose goes to see her five years prior and explains kind of what's going on and says the Doctor will be there for her but she'll have to try and kind of stall the droids until the Doctor comes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where she really gets to know Rose a little better because Rose has been there in the background occasionally, like through the fireplace and... Uh, in that room when she was older, but uh, this is the first time she actually gets to speak to her kind of one-on-one. And Rose quite ignorantly says, you know, it's all right, none of this was supposed to happen anyway. Um, 
and of course someone's gonna react to that kind of in disgust like well this is my life how the what do you mean not supposed to happen i wouldn't have it any other way yeah mm-hmm. um so yeah cool um interactions between the two of them yeah i think uh th- there were plenty of really good scenes uh in this story but just but you know just uh characters talking to one another and developing relationships and things like that and I, this is probably one of the best i mean there are many great scenes in this uh, this episode but i think that is one of the best and i, I just like it. yeah and I like her reaction to it. You know, what do you mean it wasn't supposed to happen? As she said, um, yeah. you know, she says I wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah, and she calls her child in a, like a bit of a condescending way. Mm. And also, um, from her perspective, because uh, Rose is from uh, the future, well, the present, but in relation to her, Rose explains things in quite a simple way, and she's quite surprised that uh, Renette has the intellect to understand. Um, she's also done this in uh, The Unquiet Dead with Gwyneth, um, where she she talks to her like she's a bit more stupid because she's from the past, but she's surprised that um, Gwyneth can comprehend what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a little comparison there. Yeah, uh, which is a good one. Actually, one, one thing that uh, is just a, a nice little continuity nod, I suppose is because in this uh, episode, the Doctor says that he has a preference, uh, you know, he he has a fondness of um, 18th century France, which um, in the very first season of Doctor Who, um, it you know, the, the Doctor, William Hartnell's Doctor, has a, uh, has a real fondness for that, that, that same period. Yeah. Uh, it's it's there in the very it's mentioned in the first story and it, it's certainly um, a big uh, a big reason why the Doctor gets himself involved in the the story of the Reign of Terror. Um, so the fact that the first Doctor had a preference for that period of history and a huge fondness for it um, it's referenced here. It's it's there if you're a fan of the show and just a sort of like a nice little nod. Um, it doesn't sort of get in the way. I just think I think just a nice little reference. Yeah, I think it is a good reference. So Mickey calls for Rose and uh, Renette follows and passes through the ship um, from France. Uh, this is a one of those particular scenes where it was all one shot, literally walked from one end of the set to the other mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't kind of spliced together. Um, if anything, I think we could have done with a bit less wall in between so the camera uh, kind of flowed through a little bit but um, it still works it's good um, this is where she kind of hears the screams from her future mm-hmm. and we can hear that first scene from the start of the episode where she's call- calling through the fireplace um, so Renette kind of agrees she's going to um, take the slower path yeah, mm-hmm. you know, she she goes back to her own time period, and then instantly the the drama springs forward into the five years later, um, which is happening right now on the ship. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So the droids are coming for our head, um, and the teleports only have short range, so they kind of escort her out of the bedroom, 
they've also blocked off the time window so the, the the doctor can't smash through it unless he's got like what does he say like a something to ram into it yes so, yeah um can't can't travel through uh rose suggests using the tardis but the doctor says they can't because they're now part of events um, which by now we, we do hear that occasionally but you know it does kind of make sense it's um, sort of but it doesn't I mean it, it it's a nice line to sort of like sometimes he uses it a lot um, yeah I think within yeah. the in terms of like the story and not having an easy way out it's it's a good little descriptive uh, yeah. it kind of deals with that problem it also answers the question of why didn't he um, just go back at the end to a point um, before she died, and because we've had this this little this little uh, this little reference to the TARDIS, now we're saved from an- answering asking those questions later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so he leaps through the window on his horse. Um, if you watch Doctor Who Confidential, you'll see how that was done. Um, they weren't allowed the horse um, on location there. Right. So uh, he was on a bit of a horse rig, but then they did uh, do a whole green screen barn with a stunt double leaping over uh, a green fence, and then they did a kind of green screen set, smashing the glass, and composited it together. Um, and I think it looks really good um, for something that was made in 2006. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So he leaps through the window on his horse. She introduces him to the King of France, who he may or may not have already met a few years ago. We don't know. He tells the, tro- the droids to give up, um, that the time windows have closed. Uh, and now that the window's smashed, um, he can't get back through. Um, so this is the end of the droids. They all kind of just fall to bits. <laughs> yeah, and now... Um... He's forced to take the slow path. Totally, yeah. Um, we'll have a brief clip of Rose. She understands what's happened. And she's, I don't know if abandoned the word or just sad. Um, probably a bit of both, obviously. So, uh, Renette and the Doctor kind of look to the stars and she wishes she could see them. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's got something on her mind that she's not quite telling the Doctor just yet. And, uh, now he knows he's trapped with her kind of on the slow path um we've had a similar scene is it in oh yes the beast below and the the satan pit the doctor believes that uh he's lost the tardis and he's gonna have to live his life out in this time period with rose mm-hmm. and he said no i'm gonna have to get a job how do you get a job <laughs> um yeah. and it's a bit like this he's always like how do you get money? <laughs> mm-hmm. She seems a bit sad because, of course, she knows he can't stay. She's transported the fireplace from her childhood home here. And because it was disconnected, it wasn't destroyed like the other windows. And uh, the doctor manages to get it working again. Mm-hmm. He says, wish me luck. And she's like, no, because she sent him away. But she also doesn't want him to leave. Because yeah, his I, feelings. yeah, I like that scene because it's it, it, it's a few lines of dialogue uh, which says an awful lot. But what really sells them is the performance because when you when she says no, you know the way that the doctor's face he can, it sort of it falls and it but he looks surprised and 
David Tennant plays the part really well because he realizes, um, you know, the the love and the, the fondness that she has just without just saying no. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. It's just uh, actors doing, you know, uh, actors doing what they do very well. Yeah, totally. We would just read the lines and it would be really naff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're, yeah, but we're not professional actors. Well, we're not actors at all. No. Um, yeah. I mean, there, I know there's us. Well, there's me uh, mocking the the extras, in convinc- uh, unconvincingly <laughs> screaming their heads off at the beginning of the episode, and you go, "Well, come on, Liam, show us how you would do it." And then I do it, and just go, "That's just awful." <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of what the the other podcasters are probably saying about us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, careful, Rob! You might be getting oh. a bit too close to the truth on that one. Oh. <laughs> So uh, he looks through the fireplace and he tells it to go pack a bag and go and pick a star because he's going to be back in two minutes. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Rose is happy to see him again and he's, he's happy to see Mickey. <laughs> so they get back into the TARDIS. Um, always wait five and a half hours. He returns to Paris and clearly it's been a while because the king says... Uh, She's, she says she's left um, and then it kind of slowly dawns on him what's happened uh, and he says how um, she spoke of him often and uh, wished he'd return one day so even though she was abandoned she still felt optimistic about the future, about the Doctor returning um, which is pretty sad um, and he gives him a letter from her um and the casket kind of rides out of her eyes in the rain. Um, and the king does wonder what was said in the letter, but uh, the doctor keeps it to himself and uh, returns to the TARDIS. So, yeah, in the TARDIS, Rose kind of wonders on the mystery of why they wanted her head. Great question. That never seemingly gets answered until they leave. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the Doctor's clearly sad, and Rose can see that. Um, and uh, so she and Mickey kind of go off for a walk around the rest of the TARDIS, which we never really see much. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so once alone, the Doctor reads the letter from Renette, uh, where, of course, she said she stayed optimistic that he would return, but he never did. <laughs> so he shuts down the fireplace and sets off in the TARDIS, and then it's revealed that the name of the ship was the SS Madame du Pompadour and we see the canvas on the wall. Um, so it's kind of all been building up to that reveal uh, of, of what what the mystery was. Why were they after, why were they after her head? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's time for listeners' responses. We asked what people thought about this story. Matt from neither the Time nor Space podcast said, One of my absolute favourites. I'm not one for going back to watch old episodes, but if I had to, this would be on my list. I'm not always the most positive in my reviews, but this is a great, great episode. Hope you're well, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, Yeah, I think uh, if you were to go back and, and, and watch one, uh, I think this is a, a damn good, a damn good choice. Yeah. Your cool ninety one on Twitter said, "I like it less than I used to. In general, 
I've really come to dislike the Doctor having a romantic interest in baseline humans. The age and experience difference is too much for me. Mm. I also think that the ending with the Doctor going through the fireplace is very dumb. Like, this guy is a Time Lord. If anyone should get to know how this works, it should be him. That being said, it's all okay. It's just that the shine has come off over the years for me. Which is fair enough. Uh, I do get the point with regards to the Doctor having relationships with with humans. Um, it's one of those things where if it's done well, like I think it is in this episode... Uh, I think it's fine. Don't. Th- I think it's one of those things. Don't try and think about it too much because you do go into that problem, which uh, has been mentioned, which is the age and experience gap is is massive. It's sort of like the equivalent of, I don't know, a sixty year old going with a sixteen year old. Do you know what I mean in terms of the age and yeah. the experience? Yeah, and it just goes. Um, so t- I think, especially since he just met her as a child as well. Yeah, that is a bit. Uh, but I don't mean to make it sound creepy. I'm just putting it in perspective. Oh yeah, yeah actually, yeah. just oh my god, has is this episode problematic now? <laughs> do, we, do we cancel this episode? Um, I think it works in the sense that um, really you're not thinking about the Doctor's age because of the really it's because of the visuals that you're presented with. Yeah. If, for example, this would have had William Hartnell as the Doctor, <laughs> um, no, it it would have had to be a completely different. You couldn't have the romantic element, but because you've got David Tennant at the age he was playing the Doctor at this point, it 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 works simply because of that reason. It it with the visuals that you're presented with. Think about it beyond that, then yeah, I totally agree. It uh, it, it is a bit of an issue, and I, I actually, personally speaking, I, I don't have a problem with the, the Doctor being in romantic relationships uh, when when it's done well. But personally speaking, I just kind of like the idea of the Doctor and a friend, just being a friend and going off on adventures. I quite like that. Yeah. So so I agree with I, I, I certainly agree with that point, and I would much rather see the series go more in that direction. Yes, uh, totally. But, and yeah. anyway, it's it's. I know there's always been a bit of stigma about the kissing, which we've kind of we're way past that now. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very much about the emotional romance, not the physical. Anyway, with the Doctor. Yes, that's true. Chris Vint said, "My favorite story after school reunion, just a wonderful story." It doesn't mean in the literal sense to right after school reunion, but <laughs> <laughs> no. But I mean, it's quite nice that you know one episode follows directly from the other in terms of his favourites. So um, yeah, there is that connection. But yeah, the, 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 they are they are good. Um, school reunion is a story that has grown. I mean, I've always liked it. It has grown with, but I, I tend to find that I appreciate it more. I kind of like the the emotional aspect of the story and what it's trying to convey balanced with the light-hearted aspect of the story if I can put it like that um, but from my own personal perspective I, I, um, between those t- th- those two episodes I th- my favourite's The Girl in the Fireplace but School Reunion's a very good episode Yes, I agree We React Podcast sent loads of crying emojis Alright, okay uh, yeah. I'm, I'm reading that, that they find the story emotional 
or rather than <laughs> or it's they just, hate it. yeah just rather, uh, rather than the episode just uh, makes them break out into tears because they hate it so yeah. much um i hope i've read that right i mean it's no fear her <laughs> certainly isn't um, no so over at the who can convince you podcast harry here it's not bad haha David is unbearably smug and confident in this one, so it tends to make me feel a little sick, haha. Miss Miss Miles, Sophie Miles, is excellent. The fireplace makes no sense, but that's okay. Thumbs up. Side note, made a discovery that Miss Miles is in the Thunderbirds film. That's right, she's Lady Penelope. Yes, she is. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen clips of it. And now that you've mentioned that, I've just gone, of course she is bloody obvious now uh yes just going back to the point with i get because nothing towards david tennant uh, as as an actor because i think he's you know he's a very good actor and i liked how he played the doctor in the sense that he played the part that was written well i don't like his doctor for the very reason i don't find him watchable and think the whole series is awful far from it but i he's my least favorite simply for that very reason i do find him very smug and uh it can be very grating and especially given the fact that it was that level that aspect of this doctor's character was never really um sort of uh, really dealt with until we get to the waters of Mars, and then that that arrogance is really called out on towards the end of that episode, which is a very good episode. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the re- it's it's that it's partly the reason why you know that scene that we were talking about when he's pretending to be drunk. Yes, I think I know it's a whole. I think I know it's a whole thing about um, putting the the androids off guard. Um, by pretending to be drunk, but that's part of the reason why the scene doesn't sit right with me. As I said, compared to when I first watched the episode all those years years back, it does the scene the scene doesn't bother me as much. But there, there is an there is an element of that. Um, but uh, personally speaking, I think that there are other episodes in the David Tennant era which showcase the excesses of his arrogance, if you like, um, far worse than here. I think. I think it's. I get the point. Yeah, but I think it's quite. I think it's quite balanced here. Fraser Gregory said, "An unqualified triumph in every area. Anyone who says Moffat can only do plots and not characters should be forced to watch this on repeat. I say forced. It's hardly a chore, as he delivers a beautiful, heartbreaking script with his characteristic timey-wimey smartness." David Tennant and Sophia Mills absolutely saw as he shows the full extent of his range for the first time and we get his best ever haunted doctor. The design is sumptuous and the clockwork monster under the bed is Doctor Who at its scariest. Most valuable player though is Murray Gold whose score hits each and every part of your heart as you go on the journey with the characters. Divine, with Mickey and Rose bringing up the rear with the laughs. This episode has everything. I could watch it over and over. How did we not mention the music, Liam? That's a good point. Uh, I'm surprised we haven't because the music is very good. And I think the fact that um, it's... 
it's Murray. Actually, because going back to the point when we were talking about the news that Russell T. Davis was is coming back to the the, the series, uh, a number of people said that they hope that means Murray Gold's coming back. To which my reaction is no, please no. Not that he's awful, but I just think you know it's it's quite nice that we got a new composer doing new things, and I don't want Murray Gold to come back. If I'd, I'd uh, the current composer of the series, I would much rather that they stay on. But if not, uh, try and get you know someone else. I, I would like that. Murray Gold, clearly a very talented composer, very, very good, but did have a tendency to be very bombastic to the point where, uh, not all the time, and I think he certainly got better towards the end of his sort of tenure of providing music for the show. Yes. But I find that his music, on occasion, could be very distracting. It you was a, it tended to be a bit over the top in some cases. Yeah, and it sort of... Um, if you're, it's sort of a, a bit of a balance. You want to be aware of the music, but not so much where it's overwhelming and that's only the thing that you're aware of, which on, oca- on occasion Murray Gold was guilty of, in my view. Um, whereas, with this is one occasion where, I, yeah, I think the score that he provides is, uh, is absolutely perfect. Yeah, I mean, we've reviewed a couple of new era stories recently, um, Father's Day we did just last. Um, that has quite a good signature score to it. Yes. Um, whereas Dalek, I don't think did. No. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it did either. Um, yeah. But this one is uh, quite memorable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably one of the reasons, because given the the era of the show, the fact that we're, uh, um, we're not sort of overwhelmed with mass, you know massively distracting music i think it's probably one of the reasons because it just it uh <laughs> it's, it's it's murray gold doing a good score uh which is suitable for the story so we did a poll how would you rate the girl in the fireplace uh good average or bad and how do you think it fared I think um, the vast majority of people would have said it's good. Um, yeah, yeah, um, 89.3. Yeah, okay, that's really good. Yeah. So a little over 10% said it was average, but nobody said it was bad. Oh, no one at all. Okay, well, that's uh, that's interesting. And our scores, um, what do you rate it? Oh, I'd say it's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, for, for me, there's no doubt about it. And it, 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 I've always said... There's one word that's always stuck with me with this story in terms of describing it. I just think it's beautiful. Um, I think it's very well written. Um, I really like the design of it. Uh, it's the whole uh, the picture quality is great. There's no dodgy lighting because it's all. I guess it's mostly all interior, apart from the odd exterior shot where it's really lush and sunny. So you know the whole the whole canvas of the episode is like. Uh, is really good. Yes, yeah. I just, th- I just think everything there. You know, you, you get a really good script from Stephen Moffat, and everything comes together to ensure that that good script comes across in the best possible way. So you get a good script, uh, you get good direction, good production values, Murray Gold, but you know, good music, um, and it must be really hard getting like really from well. script to screen, you know, all, yes. the, all the right emphasis on the right things. 
Yeah, I think yeah, very much so because one, it's it's something to produce something for, you know, to, to write a very good script um, and get that as perfect as possible. A lot of work goes into that, and then yeah, and then say for example, you can have everything in its place, but you have a director who just isn't up to the task. You've already ruined it, or it just takes one or two elements to to not come up to scratch and the potential of the script falls down whereas here everything just seems to um gel incredibly well uh and yeah but and then but uh but as i said i think um i describe this episode as beautiful because in terms of the writing i think it's very good i like the the emotional resonance of the episode and the, the relationship between the characters and obviously the look of the thing so, uh, so what's your ranking? Bad, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, 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 totally. Top uh-huh. marks. I think that kind of sums up the main story. In 2020, there was a whole thing going on of Doctor Who lockdown. All these little shorts um, out there on YouTube, short stories and things. Um, and I kind of, I was aware of some of them, but there was a, a Pompadour one which I was unaware of until recently mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of a montage of shots that we've mostly seen before um, spliced together with new dialogue from Sophia Miles and it's and it's been wrote by Stephen Moffat um, now I don't really want to spoil it, I could t- we could talk about it and reveal it but it's only two minutes long, you know go and check it out um, and it does put a bit of a new spin on uh, on that story. Yes, I wasn't. I was aware that some certain lockdown things were happening around with Doctor Who, but I never bothered with them. And so I only watched this uh, when you sent me the link, Rob. And unlike the Tardisode, which we described earlier, I actually think that the you're right in terms of its um, its re-edited footage of the girl in the fireplace to tell this story and I think actually the way that that's edited together and made to look I think is done very well and um the what it, it and unlike the Tardisode it actually adds something to to the story it's not a not it's not essential in the sense that if you don't watch it then you're missing something out but I I do actually but it adds a, another element of poignancy yeah, it it adds something more emotional than than like a, a narrative thing. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's the the fact that it 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 builds upon the idea that the fact that these droids were able to access uh, Madame de Pompadour's life, um, and mm. tap into her memories, and the fact that they are repairing the ship, which is called Madame de Pompadour, and that. And then they're feeding uh, into the computer all these memories, and so Madame de Pompadour it, lives. But in the computer, yeah, and which I guess kind of reveals it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's—I uh, think it's—I think it's done very well. I think it's again, it's Stephen Moffat really going back into um, what makes the the story work, and uh, the actress reading the lines very well. And because actually, the the way that it pl- the way that it plays out originally, first off, when I was watching it, I thought it was Madame de Pompadour in between that moment of when she last saw the Doctor and before her death. 
I thought that's how it was playing out, and it was sort of pining for the loss of, of, of the Doctor before she died. I thought that's where it was going. Uh, I don't know whether you thought that, but that, that that sort of that was my take on it. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought naturally. Yeah. Yeah, and then actually, it's it's sort of the twist of actually, you know, uh, it's the memories of Madame de Pompadour alive and well and living in this computer, and it's just like, oh my god, you're trapped. Um, so it's a very claustrophobic idea, and as yeah, and it adds, as I said before, it adds a, a level more a level of poignancy uh, to the episode. Yeah. So I liked it I an think, awful I- lot. I think it's best viewed um, as and when it came out rather than having it be part of the episode. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would have had this kind of double whammy at the end where it, it, it ended perfectly and then why introduce all this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. If, 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 if someone was able to somehow edit it into the actual story, yeah, I think it would be very overwhelming. But if you watch the episode and then, I don't know how long, have a bit of a gap and then approach this mini story called Pompadour and just go, yeah, it does add a little bit. That's, yeah, I agree with that. That's probably the best way to yeah. approach Wait it. about 14 years before watching it. Works So if you have previously seen that or if you want to check that out, uh, have embedded it, embedded it on our website um, along with the Tardisode. Head over to cloisterbellpodcast.com forward slash fireplace and it's all there. <laughs> There was a few story facts. There were some working titles for the episode that were um, Madame de Pompadour, Every Tick of My Heart, and yeah. Runette and the Lonely Angel. Mm, that's a bit, yeah, that's a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sophia Mells and David Tennant started dating mm-hmm. um, after working together on the story and the end of the relationship in 2007, which would be in the following year. Is that the, of, and is that the year that he met Georgia Moffat? Uh, no, that was 2000 and... Oh, well, I was going to say that was the 2008 series, but possibly filmed in 2007. Yeah, uh, possibly. Oh, anyway, sorry, uh, what were you going to say? Um, no, that was it. <laughs> oh, right, sorry, I thought I interrupted you with something. A little yeah. thing, uh, apparently the, the dress that uh, she she wears in the uh, the ball scene was the dress that Helen Mirren wore, one of the dresses that Helen Mirren wore, in one of my favourite films, which is The Madness of King George. Ah, so, random, random costume fact. Actually, go, uh, have you ever had a banana daiquiri? Um, no. Hmm. I say I don't drink, but I'm, <laughs> I'm curious we're, to have one. We're tempted now, yeah. <laughs> Very tempted, yeah. <laughs> it's a good the place to start, yeah. yeah. Bananas are good. Yeah. Oh, bananas are which, good, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. I've, ate, I've, I've had a banana. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that actually sums everything up for today. What we're doing next week, Liam? Are you picking another Tenth Doctor story? Yes. So it's gonna. It's my favourite Tenth uh, Doctor story. Um, I thought it was going to be very easy, and I, I sort of had it in my head of what it was going to be. But then when I was going through it, I went, "Oh, actually, there's this other one that I really like." And I was kind of weighing it up, and I have decided that, on reflection, it probably is my favourite uh, David Tennant story, which. I think my choice may take people by surprise because uh, there are a, a few um, to pick from which are quite good. But anyway, uh, without further ado, it's the unicorn and the wasp. Oh, I thought it was going to be Waters and Mars because um, for a long time I thought, oh, that, that's clearly the 
the best David Tennant episode. I really, really like that one, and it's um, got some great actors in it and all the rest of it. But then I ended up going, nah, it's the unicorn and the wasp <laughs> for me anyway. Yeah, that's good. I do remember some good moments, funny moments from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, honestly, I haven't seen it in years. So, uh, yeah, I'll check that one out. Um, probably tomorrow I'll give that a watch, so I'm all ready. <laughs> all right, yeah. good, good. Well, hopefully you enjoy it. Yeah, um, thankfully there's no Tardisodes to go with that. Yeah, they ditched them at that point. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. goodness. <laughs> Aye. Oh, well, um, that's been cool. So... Uh, thanks for listening everyone and we'll, you'll hear from us soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bye everyone the TARDIS cloister bell imminent disaster Cloisterbell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh no.